session four of the Esther series, going to be looking at preparation. So, so far, we've looked, uh, we, we're getting through the series, we're now on to this one. So, partnering with, with a silent God, preparation, embracing God's gym. So, in previous sessions, we've looked at um, the fact that Esther was an exile, and an exile is someone that's not living in the home that they were made for. In the same way, we're not living in the home that we're made for. God has put eternity in our hearts, and so there's something in us that's not at home here. We're longing to be where he's designed for us to be. But because he's put us here, we want to have a heart for here. So we want eyes beyond here and heart for here. We want to be people that are motivated by things that are eternal, not just temporary. Then we looked at the way that God was silent in the story of Esther. He doesn't get mentioned once in the whole of the book. But yet we see that he's orchestrating this whole complicated line of events that will see his purpose achieved. And so it's humbling for us when we realize, you know what, God's not turned up in his thunder and lightning that we want him to. But he is working behind the scenes, and I want to get on board with that. I want to get in line with what that, what that is. And so therefore I release him from my plans, and I say, God, you are God. You get to do this how you want to do it. And once we do that, we begin to see that he's been there the whole time and we just wasn't aware. Last week, we started to look at how do we work with this, with this God that is active in the silence. And we talked about having good input into our lives. And we said that the, you can receive advice and advice is good. But there's actually something that the Bible talks about in terms of discipleship, which is a much higher, higher level of investment and we set some challenges to think about, okay, am, am I receiving that level of, of input? Am I opening my life, life for that? Is this turning me into being more Christ-like? And we're also asked, are you doing that for others? Have you decided to journey with someone and let, uh, let them matter to you? And we said that those aren't systems that we develop. It's not like a... Lifeline Church policy, which everyone's got to get on board with. This is something that we see has been given to us through Scripture. We see that Jesus did it, and he promoted it. And so this is about seeing God's love flowing through us to really build and develop other people. So this week, we're looking at preparation. See, God's got his own gym that, that he puts us through, because he's got great work for us. And sometimes we've got to get ready for that work. In the story of Esther, we see that she's put through 12 months of beauty treatment. Now, I don't know, I think if I went through 12 months of beauty treatment, I would look beautiful as well by the end of it. But that was quite a preparation. There was a lot of education that was going on in that. Things that we don't need to know about, I'm sure as well. But that preparation was part of her being ready for the mission that God had for her. And we, we go through our own preparation. School is a huge preparation. We're getting the, the uh, understanding of different subjects that we need, but also we're becoming rounded individuals through those interactions that we have through that. Cleaning the house is part of preparation. Changing the nappies are part of preparation. All these things, they're necessary to keep what life going but they're also a point where God's training us and developing us. So part of the question today is, how do we make sure that we are embracing the training that God's got for us and not bucking against it? And let's just, uh, I just want to jump out of 
um, Esther a second. And I want to just look at the story of Joseph. Joseph, we, if you're not familiar with the story, had this prophetic dream that his um, father and mother and his brothers would bow down to him. And um, he was already not particularly favoured by his brothers because he was preferred by his father. So he had the, the beautiful um, multicoloured uh, dream coat. And they really disliked him. So when he went and found them in the field where they were working and he wasn't, he went and said, oh, listen to this dream that I've had. You're all going to bow down to me. Now, it might be true, but it wasn't a particularly wise way of presenting it, particularly where there weren't any witnesses for his protection at that point in time. So they seized him, beat him up, threw him down in a well, and then decided, actually, no, let's not kill him. Let's sell him off to slavery. So he was sold into slavery, ended up as a servant in Potiphar's house, where he was then wrongfully accused of trying to um, attack Potiphar's wife that ended up in the prison um, in the centre of Egypt. Then he was called from there into the palace where he interpreted the dream for Pharaoh. Now, if we spin on a little bit, from that dream, he's asked to be prime minister of um, Egypt. And he devises the strategy to avoid the famine that is coming because of the prophetic dream. And it's because Egypt has food and the rest of the known world doesn't, doesn't, didn't, doesn't. There we go. He, um, his brothers come to him for food, and as they come before him, they all bow down to him and fulfills the dream that he originally had in the beginning. It was a roundabout way to get there. It wouldn't have been something that Joseph was predicting. But we see when uh, in Psalms... It talks about this story. It says, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they afflicted his feet with fetters, so with chains. He himself was laid in irons. Until the time came, that word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Now, I've always found this verse very interesting, the idea that it was the word of God that tested him. <coughs> and often when we think about tests, it's, always, it's almost like another way of saying a trap, or trying to catch you out. But when God sets a test for us, it's not to do that. It's to help us come into what he's called us to. I've heard it said that after you, you have a test in the school, you go into a, you, you graduate, you're promoted. That follows a test. And that's a good way to think about God's wanting to take us to the next level. And the test is about part of that process. So not the way that Joseph would want to have got, got to that position, but it needed to happen. The word was actually the thing that was proving him true, which is another, another translation. It says proved him true. So I was thinking about it in this context. So imagine that this is a snowball, if you don't like my drawing. There is a prophetic word that comes at the top of this hill for the snowball, and it's saying that this ball will crush the barrier. Now, if you look at the size of the barrier and look at the size of the snowball, you're going to say, no, it's not big enough to do that. It is, it's not going to happen. But the word, the breath of the word, actually causes the ball to start rolling. The, the prophetic word is actually the trigger that sets that, that ball in motion, whether it feels ready for what it's called to or not. And as the ball begins to roll down, as you know with a snowball, it gets bigger. 
It's the process of the journey which ultimately makes the ball able to achieve its mission. And it was the journey that was started by the word. The word started not only the destination, but the development of the ball to be able to achieve what it needs to when it's there. In the same way, Joseph, some could say, was not a very nice kid. He was a little bit full of himself. He was spoiled. And he wasn't of character that would deserve people bowing down to him. He was a little bit big-headed, a little bit full of himself. The journey that he went through, which was triggered by when he spoke that prophetic word out loud, was the very thing to develop his character so that by the time his brothers came to him, he was someone that was worthy to bow down. He had been betrayed, forcefully accused. He had been degraded. All of those dreadful things built him up to be the character that he needed to be to fulfill the very thing that the prophetic word had said that he would be. That's God's gym. God puts us through things that build our character to enable us to become who he destined for us to be. So what does God's gym look like? Well, we, we see in the story of Esther, it can be beauty treatments. We also see in the story of Esther, it's her discipleship from Mordecai. She actually had to learn how to receive input and benefit from it. Because when she goes into being part of the, the king's harem, it's actually her ability to take on what Haggai says that enables her to win the king's favor. So it was actually, that was all part of her training as well. So she learnt submission. In the story of David, there's another time where we see that he's in God's gym. He's in, he's in the field looking after the sheep. Now when you're in the gym, like David, you can ask yourself lots of questions. How comes I'm the only one here? Why is everyone else getting to do better stuff than me? I've been forgotten. This is a worthless task. This is boring. I shouldn't be here. You ever hear yourself saying that? When you're doing the nappies or cleaning the toilets? This isn't something I should be doing. Maybe he's also thinking, well, I've been left alone here and I've got to fight off bears and lions. That's, that's not fair. What? I'm the smallest here. That's, that's not good for me. Ever heard yourself saying something like that? No, this isn't, this isn't fair, this isn't good, this isn't, this isn't good for me. He was in the field when Samuel arrived to start going along the line of all of his brothers trying to work out who should be anointed. Each time Samuel thought, oh, this, this has got to be the brother that we use. This has got to be the person that God's called to be king. Each time God said, no, that's not the one. You're looking on the outside, I'm looking on the inside. So David has to say to Jesse, uh, sorry, so Samuel has to say to Jesse, David's dad, have you not got any other sons? And it's almost like that triggered, oh yeah, there is one more. Being the youngest, I've always had that. Oh, always being forgotten and uh, neglected. 
just left on my own in the field looking after the sheep. <laughs> Very similar life. He was forgotten where he was. He was out of sight, out of mind. Sometimes we can feel like that. Who gets to see us when we're, when we're in our gym? Sometimes no one gets to see us. Sometimes we are neglected for what we're doing. But if you remember, when he stepped up to Goliath, his reason why he thought he could take on Goliath was that he'd tackled lions and bears. He had already been doing preparation in his gym. He had already begun to discover who God is and who he is because of who God is. It was actually his times in the field that he discovered what God was like. His psalm about the good shepherd that leads him by still waters. Where's he going to get that from if he doesn't get it from his gym and from his menial task that no one really cares about? Sometimes our gym can look a little bit more like this. This is from Karate Kid, the original. And your son must talk. Walk on the road. Hmm? Walk right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle. Daniel wants to learn how to Sooner do karate. Sooner or later, get the squish, just like grip. Here, karate, same thing. Either you karate do, yes, or karate do, no. You karate do, guess so. Just like grip. Understand? Yeah, I understand. Now ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Yes. Must make sacred pact. I promise teach karate. That's my part. You promise learn. I say you do. No question. That you part. Steal? Steal? Yes. First wash all the car, then wax. Wax. Well, why do I have to wash all the car? Remember, dear, no question. Yeah, but I... Right. <laughs> wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. Wax on, wax off. Breathe, in through nose, out the mouth. Wax on, wax off. Don't forget to breathe, very important. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, where these cars come from? Wax on. Ernest! Can't believe this! Oh, Miss Spot. What spot? Hey, hey, how come you didn't tell me you were going fishing? You're not here when I go. Well, maybe I wouldn't want her to go. You ever think of that? You karate training. I'm what? I'm being your goddamn slave is what I'm being, man. Now, we made a deal here. So? So? So you're supposed to teach and I'm supposed to learn, remember? For four days, I've been busting my ass. I haven't learned a goddamn thing. Ah, uh, you learned plenty. I learned plenty. I learned how to sand your decks, maybe. I've washed your car, paint your house, paint your fence. I learned plenty, right? Uh, not everything is as simple. Oh, bullshit. I'm going home, man. Daniel-san. 
Danielson! What? Come here. Show me Sandefloor. I can't move my arm, all right? What are you doing? What are you... Ow! Ow, what are you doing? Now show me Sandefloor. How did you do that? Shut up! Sandefloor. Stand up. Show me Sandefloor. 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 Big soccer. Sandefloor. Sandefloor. Now show me wax on, wax off. Hey. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Concentrate. Look in my eye. Lock a hand. Thumb inside. Wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Wax on. Wax off. Show me painter fence. Up, down. Up, down. Up, down. Other side. Look, I always look, I. Show me paint the house. Side, side. Lock wrist. Side, side. Side, side. Yes. Show me wax on, wax off. Show me painter fence. Hush! Hush! Yes! Yes! Show me side to side. Yes! 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 Show me sand of floor. Hush! Yes! 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 Hush! How to do karate, but it looked like he was learning how to do household chores. But it wasn't just the physical that he was learning, it was actually something that he was changing internally during that. So the gym's not always our choice. Um, I don't know how many people have gym membership that don't go enough to make it worthwhile. I won't have a show of hands. Um, has Avril, Avril, you still got gym membership? No, okay. <laughs> Avril's got a column for gym membership and also for uh, parking tickets in a monthly, <laughs> monthly budget. Um, 
so there's, um, it's hard work. It's, it's not easy. It's not our choice. In, in uh, weightlifting, you're actually tearing muscles and then they're reforming. That's why they're getting bigger and getting stronger. It's, it's not pleasant. Esther, it would have been her choice to be degraded as she was to become um, potentially just one of the king's concubines. She probably had dreams of what she wanted to be. And after all she went through, she wasn't guaranteed that she'd even be selected by the king. My, my dad's often talked about um, wanting to go to Bible college after he'd become a Christian. And all of his friends were going off to learn um, and study at Bible college. And all that he felt God was saying was preparation, preparation, preparation. And so he was frustrated because his friends were becoming proper preachers. Um, and he was actually uh, still working as a stockbroker, so making rich people richer. And um, he, he wasn't enjoying that. But as he looks back now, in the same way that Danielson can look back, and he see that he was protected from training that would have taken him in the wrong direction. And that there was a, there was a wrong emphasis that, that was in those colleges at that time, which really isolated people from, from real life, that, that just made them about doing meetings and just preaching. But what he learned in the workplace was actually things that prepared him for what God had for him next. For me, there was a, um, years back, there was a relationship that I was in that came to an end. And I was really cut up about it. But I thought, you know what? God's asked me to give this up, but in return, he's going to give me, oh, he's going to give me really good things. Like, I reckon when I walk down the corridor, my shadow will pass over people and they're going to fall down in conviction because this was such a big thing for me to give up. So this, this is what he must be giving out, of, out back to me. And... I found that it didn't change. I didn't, people weren't instantly healed when I prayed for them. Um, people weren't coming to me and dropping in surrender. And I was miserable for months afterwards. And I remember saying to God, okay, right, you've gutted me. You've taken from me something that I didn't think I could give. So what are you going to replace in me? What are you going to give me in return? And God gave me a reply. He said, yeah, I've asked for more than you thought you could give, but I'm going to give you more than you think you can ask for. And he said, right now, I want you to learn to trust me. I thought, well, I've been a Christian for a long time now. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm all right with the trust thing. Can we move on to the next, the next challenge? And it was as I was thinking about it, it's like, you know what? I don't trust. I don't trust that God's got the right person for me. I don't trust that he knows what he's doing. I don't trust that he wants me to be happy. I realized that, there was actually this flood of insecurity that, that was going on without me even really realizing it. So I had to say, okay, God, you, you've put me in a gym here. You've, you've put me in a, a personalized work program to, to train me up. And so therefore, okay, you teach me about this trust thing. And it was many months later when I was praying and I realized that in my prayer I said, God, take me out of this pain, but only if you've got the best thing for me, if you've got something better for me. I would prefer to stay here in pain, 
if you've not completed what you've done, because I trust that you wouldn't put me through this if you didn't have something better for me. And it was when I looked back over what I'd just said, I thought, I trust. There's something that changed during that time that has actually been a bedrock for the things that God's called me into in my later life, knowing that God is trustworthy and didn't let me down. Again, I would have preferred to have read a book. I would have preferred to have watched a movie or listened to a song and got that revelation. But I bet you I wouldn't have remembered it as well as when God actually put me through it. And so it's not our choice. So what motivates you to press on? When the road looks like it just goes on and on and on, when you're in the field on your own and no one's there looking out for you, no one seems to care what you're doing, when you've done all the washing and no one's noticed that you've done it, or when you've done that extra piece of work and your boss doesn't really care or it's not needed anymore once you've done it. What are the things that keep us pressing on? Why do we continue to be open with people and vulnerable to people when they don't seem to be responding? What keeps us motivated? There's got to be something that we know is at the end. There's got to be a finish line that we can visualize. There's got to be something that makes it all worthwhile. I remember when um, Laura wanted to um, become a community police officer, she had to do a certain fitness test. And she had to work hard for it. And she, she recruited Paul as her personal trainer, which pretty... I mean, that in itself <laughs> speaks quite a lot. But I remember her talking about it, that she had to remember why she was going through it and the joy that she had when she achieved what she was called to achieve. It doesn't always fall into our lap. Sometimes talent alone is not what, what will take us to where we need to. I remember seeing a comparison once between Wayne Rooney and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo when they were both kind of vying for player of the world. And um, I remember Wayne Rooney never stopped smoking. Meanwhile, Ronaldo would be practicing on his own um, jumping and he would tie weights around his feet so that he could practice jumping higher. And you look at those two comparisons. Maybe they both started with equal natural talent, but Ronaldo was committed to, to develop and go further. And sometimes we get a little bit fed up because we're not seeing the impact that we want to make. We're, we, oh, I've been doing this for a long time now. There's a, there's a um, management theorist guy called uh, Simon Sinek, and he's saying about meeting a lot of these uh, young people that have just, just been working, and they're, they're, doing, they're really bright. They've got great ideas, great talent. And he says, so how are you getting on? He said, yeah, I think I'm going to quit. Why would, you, why would you quit? He said, well, I'm not making an impact. He said, you've been here six months. What impact do you want to make? They all want to be CEO. They all want to be leading their own divisions. But there is a, was a neglect for the preparation, for the training period that was in front of them. 
The thing is, if you don't have a destination, if you don't have a target, you're not really going to keep going. We talked about discipleship last week. If your focus is not to decrease so that he could increase in you, discipleship's not for you. It's not going to appeal. It's going to get hard. But if our destination is we want to be more like him and less like us, that's what takes us. I remember uh, Mark McGrath prophesying over me at one point, and he said, you're too afraid if you're going to hurt people or not. Let me assure you, you will hurt people. Just take that as a, a given. You want to be an expert with your sword like you see the leaders of the church, like you see your father that can kind of take his sword out and he can be really precise with it and then put it away and he's done what he needs to. He can say what's needed to be said with minimum collateral damage. You're not him yet. You've got to learn the weight of your sword. You need to learn of its reach. You need to make lots of mistakes. You need to hurt lots of people because you've got to learn to be able to get over that and don't worry, because God's already set aside the grace for them to get over it as well. That, that doesn't mean that I'm reckless, but it means that I can't be afraid. I've got to realize that I can't be who I want to be yet. I'm the snowball at the top of the mountain, and I'm looking at a barrier that's bigger than me. So how do we accept God's gym? Sometimes we use the term embracing the process. And the key question is, God, how are you seeking to grow me? Because if we spend our whole life trying to sidestep the process, trying to sidestep the gym, we, are, we can actually find that we are taking ourselves around something that God's put there for us. And it's actually God that's the Paul Haycraft in our life. It's God who's actually developed that training program. By embracing the process, we can actually find we're embracing him and what he's got for us and his love for us. If I decided, you know what? Trust's on God's agenda, but it's not on my agenda. Let me find something else that I can do. I wouldn't be prepared for what God's got for me next. But by asking the question, God, how are you seeking to grow me, is actually causing me to say, I want to be ready for what you've got next in my life. Because I can't predict what you've got next. There's a principle in the Bible that those that have been faithful with few will be given more. I want to be faithful with the few. Even if no one else can see what I'm being faithful with, I want to be faithful with that because I want more of what God's got for me. And I want to partner with him closer and closer. And sometimes it leads us going in a different direction to what we want. Like Joseph seemed to be going in the opposite direction to where he wanted. If you think about Noah things that he had to learn to be able to do what he was doing. We've often talked about this, that actually he had to learn how to do animal husbandry. He needed to learn how to saw down trees. He needed to learn how to grow crops to, gr to provide enough feed for the animals. None of that looked to be directly related with staying alive on a boat. But that was all part of his preparation and training. When we ask this question, God, how are you seeking to grow me? We can begin to ask the question, okay, so what can I embrace now that will prepare me for where I believe God wants me? Sometimes you might have a prophetic word that you will, you're going to destroy the barrier at the end of the hill. So what do I need to start doing now 
in order to be able to achieve that. When I was, um, I spent some time in America and I spent a time around lots of uh, guys my age and they all had all these fantastic prophetic words of what God was going to do through them. I said, okay, so what are you doing about it now? What do you mean? I'm waiting for it to fall into my lap. But what if there's something that God needs you to start doing now, a gym that he's prepared for you, that you need to start working on so that you are ready by the time you get there? I remember when it was coming up to me picking um, a course for university and which university to go to. I was talking to my dad about it. I said, son, you need to think um, what's going to be useful for the kingdom. And so I thought, oh, probably not media studies. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure it's really useful. Certainly not history or drama. Not history or drama, no. You remember that when he got back, it, the first thing that he did, his first day of university, they played huggy tag. Oh, gosh. <sighs> Is he not here? Oh. Okay, well, you, you can all tease him about that. Um, and that's why I ended up doing business studies. Now, in the event of it, I don't think I've used anything that I learned, but it was still the process in which we, we made the decision. But the other key decision we made was that I would stay at home and I would commute in because I still felt that I should be involved with the youth work. How do we make sure that we are asking those questions and the things that we've got in front of us? In the promotion, in the... How do I get my kids into the best school for them? Well, that, that's a great question, but is there another question of what's God got for my children? How do I expose them to the training, to the gym that he's got for them? How do I make sure that in what I'm developing and building with, with friends around, I'm creating a, a level of relationship that we can be honest and we can grow into what God's got for us? Every time we duck around a process... Every time we skip confronting, we are actually in danger of stepping out of what God's got for us. It's in the big stuff and it's in the small stuff. Because those that will be given some, that have been faithful with some, will be given more. And I was thinking earlier with uh, Debbie's testimony about praying. And then, was it the week before last, Caroline talked about praying for road in school after the, the fire. Um, just thinking, how much training went into them being able to respond to that simple request? The, the amount of teaching that they would have received, the amount of testimonies they would have heard, the friends around them saying, you can do this, not necessarily in that situation, but in other situations. The songs they might have listened to, the verses that they've read in the Bible, all of these things are stacking experiences ready for when that moment comes. And we're going to see more in the story of Esther. When that moment comes of her laying down her life, there's been enough preparation that she's gone through that she can make the decision that she, she needs to. She didn't think she was big enough to destroy her barrier. But in the very process of making the decision, she was growing into the person that could be used to achieve that. So, in response... We need to ask ourselves, perhaps I'm in God's gym now. How do I embrace this rather than bucking against the process, rather than bypassing the process? What can I actually choose to do now 
to say, okay, God, this is where you got me. How can I learn from what you've got in front of me? What can I work on developing now in order to achieve your purposes in my life? David just did his job very faithfully because he didn't run away from the lions and the bears and he protected his sheep. He had to learn how to fight the predator. But because he did that in his private life, he was able to take on the Goliath in his public life. What are you committed to being when no one's watching? When you've been left to paint your house or paint your fence, it seems even the master's not looking. Are you doing it good enough to be a karate expert 